Today's reading will be from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 27. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Alex. Well, if you were here last week, you're like, we were in this passage last week. Why are we in this passage again? Don't we just move on to the next one? Uh, Well, God's Word is both wide in breadth, but deep. And I think there's more nuggets for us to get from uh, this particular text. Because uh, as we had last week, as we looked, we looked kind of primarily at the unforgiving servant, right? The one who kind of tempted, he, he got bitter, uh, lost sight of the forgiveness that had been given him and the danger that that could have for us. But as we jump back in this text, we want to look maybe at some practical ways of what forgiveness looks like in everyday life. Forgiveness isn't just for those big, huge things maybe that's happened or great offenses that have happened, but even for the little things in, in the context of maybe your marriage, uh, you know, the things that happened there, or maybe in friendships that you have, or with coworkers that you have, or those in the neighbor category. Could be physical neighbor, could be just those you know, uh, you know, generally speaking, in the community. Uh, forgiveness is something that should be in front of us, we should be aware of in the small things and in the big things. So as we look at at forgiveness again, we're going to look at the king. What did the king do in this text? And we're going to look at the model and the, the, what, what the king did and, and see how that applies into our lives. And one thing that I shared last week at the beginning was in Matthew 7, 5, It says, Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I mentioned that last week at the outset. I want to mention it again. Because as it comes to forgiveness, we often have kind of the elbow nudge that comes. Uh, We think think about what the other person did or what the other person needed to do or that relationship with someone in my family that they really need to hear this. And if they heard this, things would be completely different. I think God wants to speak to us. He wants to bring conviction in our hearts about this subject matter. He wants to direct our gaze because I believe as we direct our gaze to the king and as we take steps forward in response to what the king has done for us, I think it's going to change our relationships horizontally and we'll take the step as we'll see the king takes the step. But before we jump in, let's pray. Father, we need your help as with any truth that has been shared with us. We need your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you sent your Spirit to be our helper, so we ask for help this morning to be in awe of the King and to give us the grace needed to display 
your glory and to display your mercy in forgiveness. So we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Well, remember, as we started last week, uh, Peter comes and says to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? And remember, we learned that the practice in that day was uh, forgiveness of up to three times and then no more after that. So Peter's thinking, I'm being generous by like, yeah, seven times? And Jesus is like blows that out of the water and says, like, there's no limit to forgiveness. And that just... So how do we do that? Well, before we even jump in to look at the next passage, what does the king do? I think it's helpful just to look briefly at a list of what forgiveness is not. And I found a great list um, in, in the book Forgive by Tim Keller. You've mentioned it last week. Great book for you to read on forgiveness. Um, uh, I wish I'd read it years ago, but it, it wasn't around years ago. It's fairly new, but it's, it's a great resource on forgiveness. So here's the list that he gave. What forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not excusing. It's not saying, okay, that's not really a problem. Now, there's times where something happens, maybe a disagreement with somebody, and you, you're tempted, and they come, and they share something with you, and you realize, yeah, there was just miscommunication there. Really, there wasn't, you know, sin that happened there, and you kind of excuse it, but, but that's not forgiveness. Denying it or whitewashing it is not forgiveness. Pretending that something isn't sin when maybe it is. Or, or, or ignoring it. So just ignoring something that's happened doesn't mean that, that forgiveness has happened. Uh, only refraining uh, from active revenge is not forgiveness. So, for example, if you were to say, I won't actively seek your harm now, but I'm going to treat you with coldness and root for you to fail. That's, that's not forgiveness. Suspending judgment is not forgiveness. I'll forgive you now, but the next time I won't be so nice. That's that's not forgiveness. So we aren't keeping people on probation. Weaponizing mercy or having condescending mercy isn't forgiveness. Saying something like, oh, well, I forgive you, but, you know, I could have lashed out at you. And because I didn't lash out at you, you still, you still owe me. You still owe me because I, I could have been mean to you, but I wasn't mean to you when you were mean to me, so you still owe me. That's not forgiveness. Abandoning justice isn't forgiveness. Now, I want to be clear. There are times when, when sin is, is something that raises to the level of needing to call the authorities, and I'm not specifically talking about that, but yet we just need to be aware of that. There's times where sin happens and the police need to be called. And there's grave things that have happened and we can't address every little thing. So we just need to be aware of that. But it's not abandoning justice, meaning just completely saying, I'm going to ignore this. But it's also not abandoning justice in the sense of like, well, I'm going to take justice into my own hands. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness also isn't immediate trust. Some would believe that 
you must experience like immediate trust with that individual or you haven't forgiven them. If you don't feel warm fuzzies to them right away, then that must mean you haven't forgiven them. Trust takes time, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. It, it does take time, also depending on just the severity of some things that have happened. Forgiveness is an event, but sometimes it's also a process. So that's just a brief list of things forgiveness is not. Well, let's, let's spend our time looking at the king in ways, in ways that he forgave. What's the process that... that he went through in this passage. So we're just going to look at five observations about the king. The first one is this. The king took the initiative to settle the accounts. Look at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. He didn't let the debt linger out there. He didn't ignore it. He didn't wait for the servant to come to him. We can kind of treat forgiveness in some of our relationships, even in minor things that way. Well, that, that person needs to come to me. They're the one that did the thing that hurt me. My spouse did that thing. They need to come to me. No, the, the king goes to settle the accounts. He takes the step forward to settle the accounts. He moves towards the one who owed him the debt. He didn't put conditions on moving forward. He moved forward. He didn't go, he didn't start with, I forgive you, but you need to do this. No, he, he's moving forward. And then the king does this, look at verses 24 and 25. When, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment to be made. Now, the king told the truth about the debt. And we can immediately go to the authority that the king has. The king has the authority to, to sell his servant and his family to pay the debt. And we can go immediately there, oh, man, I wish I could do that. I really, this really hurt. They need to pay this debt. So let's not focus on the authority the king had, but the fact that he speaks the truth about the reality of what has happened. He exposes what is done. He calls it what it is. He doesn't hem-haw about it. We can avoid the, the hard conversations, and they're crucial conversations to have. And, and the king didn't avoid the conversation. It had to have been going on for a long time. As we talked about, the debt that the servant had was massive, billions of dollars in debt. Like he, it wasn't like one day he would just, it can't be that one day he was just like, oh, I just didn't happen to know that, you know, 200,000 years worth of your income, you know, just happened to accrue and I, I missed it. But he, he speaks the truth about it. Hard things are talked about. We need to be straightforward about what has happened in the conversation. But what does that conversation look like? 
I think Ephesians 4.29 and other passages of Scripture speak to what does that conversation look like? What does that truth-telling look like? It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And we could reference other passages of Scripture, 2 Timothy 2.25 or Galatians 6.1, where gentleness is, is, the, is the accent of the conversation when bringing up hard truths. So when having this conversation, whether it's in the context of being with a coworker or maybe somebody in your family that you need to speak with, there's, there's the accent in the New Testament of this gentleness of are the words that we're sharing, even though the words that we're sharing are true and they're hard to say. And we want to avoid them because we're like, if I say them, we kind of avoid it. We want to avoid it because it's like it could make it worse. And sometimes it does. When someone has a hard heart, sometimes it does. But the king takes the step forward. And are we using words of graciousness? Are we starting with what Christ has done for us in our minds and as we tell the truth, how are we telling the truth? So ask yourself before you have that conversation, Lord, am I, am I coming to exact something? Am I coming with the heart like the servant of pay what you owe? Or am, am I coming to just bring the truth to the surface with the heart of, of reconciliation in view? And that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. Forgiveness isn't painted as like the super easy thing to do. But the ultimate goal is the restoration of relationship. It's not to be punitive. It's not to punish. The hard conversations are meant to happen for the glory of God. So how does the king take the step of being, of, of forgiving? We see here in the text. Look at verses 26 and 27. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. It says, out of pity for him. We often in our American context can think about pity as a word that feels a bit self-righteous. Here, pity, like, I'm greater than you. I'm going to have pity for you. Oh, sad to be you. Wish you could be me. That's not, that's not the flavor of the original language. The flavor of the original language is one who is deeply moved, literally into the bowels, like into the inner part of your being. He's deeply moved towards sympathy and compassion. Because pity identifies with the wrongdoer. Identifies in understanding the place that they are in. So we must understand the one who we need to forgive. We must understand they're, they're co-sinners like we are. Understand the, 
the place that they're in. The king, this king is being reflective of the king of kings who is perfect, but we need to identify with where are they coming from. It doesn't absolve what they've done, but we need to understand and have compassion for the place that they are. Because ultimately, this servant is in this place where he finds himself where there is nothing he can do to make it right. There's nothing he can do. Even though he cries out and says, you know, I will pay you everything. We all know the magnitude of the debt that he has. He can't pay it. There's nothing he can do to make it right. In, in my Christian experience, I had the opportunity to be a part of a church plant in Pennsylvania. A guy I knew went to pastor school with planted a church. We got to serve alongside them, and I, I led worship for a season. And there was one Sunday where I, uh, after church, because we, we met in a, uh, in like a hotel conference room. So we had to tear down every Sunday. Like all the cords and stuff that you see had to be torn down. So people are picking stuff up. And then, you know, my guitar was, was here kind of like this. And I'm not going to do with Hugh's guitar what happened to mine. I didn't even tell Hugh I was going to touch his guitar. So hopefully that's okay. But what happened is, uh, as we're, we're pulling cords, one of the cords was under the stand here. And the stand falls forward. And the, and the guitar just goes thump, which I'm not going to do with this, Okay. And I go and I pick it up. And right away I notice that the strings are loose. And I'm like, oh, man. Like, did the strings just, like, break? And I realize, no, the strings are solid. But the neck is broken. It broke right here. I'm going to be very careful and put it back so that doesn't happen. And the woman who had pulled the cord when she saw me stand there looking at my guitar, immediately she is mortified. She, oh, Jamie, I am so sorry that I, I'm sorry that you, that this happened. And then immediately her husband comes and he's like, hey, Jamie, whatever, whatever it costs to replace it or fix it, we can, we can replace it. And, and though, yes, a guitar can be replaced, but this wasn't any guitar. It wasn't even that it was a super expensive guitar. It was my first guitar. It was the guitar that was given as a gift for me that I learned how to play because there was this pretty girl that I knew in college that felt like that she was going to get married to someone who knew how to play guitar. So I learned how to play guitar. So this guitar had meaning. Yes, the pretty girl's in the room. I won't point her out. <laughs> so yeah, the guitar could be replaced, but it couldn't be replaced. And in that moment, I could have just been like, can't believe this has happened to me. And all I can say is a miracle happened that day in my heart that, that hadn't happened in my heart before. I was aware in that moment there was nothing she could do to pay the debt. There was nothing she could do. And when we realize that the offending party to us, ultimately there's nothing they can do to undo what has happened. We have the heart of the king 
we're positioned to take the step of forgiveness. We're positioned to take the step of forgiveness. Having that because we're co-sinners, when we identify with the person who has sinned against us, when we identify with them, it positions us to move forward to them and forgive them. And we must remember that Christ identified with us. He left his place and he came and he dwelt among us. He came and he dwelt among us. And though he did not sin, he didn't identify in the sense where he sinned so he could understand the fact that we sin, but rather than Christ coming and judging and condemning, Christ was condemned for us. That's the picture that we must have as we go and we identify with others. We must keep in view the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about the good things that we do that earn us anything. It's by his mercy alone. Forgiveness, our forgiveness is not based on our merit. It's based on mercy. So you can come right now to Christ, whether you have placed your trust in him before or this is the first time you can come, not because you got things figured out, you got things all fixed up, but because Christ, he came and in his mercy gave his life for you. So because of God's forgiveness isn't merited, neither should our forgiveness come with conditions. But as we identify, then we can take the steps forward to forgive because that's what the king does. And look back at verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He released him of the debt. When, when sin happens, a, a debt is owed. Someone has to pay for it. Someone has to pay for the debt. How are we going to do it? I mean, if someone comes to your house, you have a group of people over, and you guys are hanging out, and a lamp gets broken. Some of you are like, yeah, that's happened in my house. Lamp gets broken, you can, in that moment, go pay for it right now. Empty your pockets before you leave here. But oftentimes, if it's a lamp or if it's that lamp that you were just kind of hoping it was going to get broken anyway, you're, you are making a choice in that moment to say no. Like, hey, it's not a big deal. But when you say, hey, it's not a big deal, well, I'll take care of it, you're saying either I'm going to go without the light that that lamp gives to my house, or I'm going to pay for the new lamp myself. You are assuming upon yourself the debt. Now, I want to be clear. When we're talking about debt, we're not talking about our debt to God. Our debt to God was paid because of what Christ has done. We're talking about horizontal relationships. Are we going to assume that debt? Because forgiving means we deny ourselves the opportunity for revenge. We deny ourselves inwardly the desire to get even. We respond to Romans 12, which says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning holes on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Forgiveness is voluntarily suffering. It's not deserved. It's, it's canceling the debt. It's absorbing the hurt. And we're called to do that with our friends. You're called to do that with your spouse, whether you've been married for two years or 20 or 50. Called to do that with your neighbor. Because we, we pay the debt in our heart because there's, there's always a cost. And I don't want to minimize the reality that there's a cost. It's not easy. But we are given the grace to absolve payment and bear the cost. Tim Keller commented this. He said, forgiveness means that when you want to make them suffer, instead you refuse to do it. And this refusal is hard. It is difficult and costly. But through it, you are absorbing the debt yourself. Some think that by remaining angry, they are giving the wrongdoer what they deserve, but in reality, you are enabling their actions to continue to hurt you. If instead, bit by bit, you grant forgiveness in this way, eventually you'll begin to feel forgiveness. You do absorb. There's an intentionality that we have in forgiving. There's just a few things to, to think about when we take steps towards forgiveness. Let's, let's take inventory of in our hearts when we're saying, pay what you owe. Right? Briefly reviewing last week, you know, are there, are we making cutting remarks towards that person? Brother, sister, others. Are we dragging out the past? Are we avoiding them in subtle ways? Are we actively seeking to harm them by Telling others under the guise of seeking sympathy and hurt. Are we playing a recording in our mind of that thing again and again and again? So let's just take inventory. And some of this isn't maybe an active situation in your life. I, I guarantee, I wish I couldn't guarantee, I wish I didn't have to guarantee, but I guarantee you're going to be sinned against. It's going to happen in your life. We live in a fallen world. Until we see Jesus face to face and everything is made right, we're going to experience these things. We need to be armed with truth. We need to take inventory in our hearts. Where's our heart inclined? We need to commit to not repeatedly bringing it back up to that person. Hey, don't you remember? Don't you remember? Do you remember what you did? Now, I'm not talking about when, when there's the reality there's sometimes as we're loving someone in our life that has a repeated pattern of sin. 
where we have to come to them and we need to come to them again. And early on in this chapter in Matthew 18, there's some truth that speaks to that. We won't jump in there. That's another message in and of itself. But there's a path and a process to graciously go about that. And there's times where we, have to, we do have to bring it back up because it's continuing to happen. But in speaking about the things that have happened in the past, like we, we, we want to commit to not bringing that up. And we need to remind ourselves of what the gospel says about us. Ephesians 4.32, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness. And as you take steps in forgiveness, sometimes it's just not clear. Sometimes we just don't know what to do. And I'd encourage you to avail yourself in those circumstances of pastoral counsel, of of godly uh, biblical soul care counsel from professional counselors who can walk alongside you. Because sometimes these things aren't clear and we need help. So let's humble ourselves and get help as we pursue, as we seek to honor God and forgive. But in many situations, in the everyday relationships that we have, there's grace to look at the king and walk out forgiveness. Be intentional in knowing you absorb the cost. Look to Christ who absorbed the cost for you. And something I said early on, the feeling of forgiveness is not always instantaneous. It's not always instantaneous. I did believe early on as a Christian, man, when I forgive someone, it just must go away. Now, there's, there's many times where that's true. You know, in the kindness of my relationship with my wife, when, when I sin against her, I said something unkind. Of course the Lord does this. Right before I preach on forgiveness, yesterday I said something to my wife in the midst of a disagreement that was unkind. Straight unkind. We go into the car, and my daughter learns about our dialogue, so it's just out there. And I ask my wife's forgiveness, and she forgives me. And our relationship is restored. There's nothing there. We're holding hands later in the day, later that morning, as we're together snuggling with one another on the couch. So that, that happens where there's restoration right away. And that's going to happen a lot in some of your relationships when you just take that step. But sometimes it's not because bigger things have happened or hard things have happened. And it takes time. Author Dan Hamilton uh, spoke about this. He said, forgiveness can be like buying an expensive gift for someone on credit. The gift is received in the moment when you say to the person, I forgive you, and enjoyed from there on. But the giver will continue to pay unseen until the full debt is satisfied. Again, I want to be clear. This is not a debt to God that needs to be earned. It's not a, some kind of debt that we need to owe or some kind of penance that we're paying in the process. But sometimes it's a continual entrusting ourselves to Christ that helps us walk that out over time. I was reminded recently of Corey Ten Boom never read The Hiding Place. Great book to read. She encountered going to the concentration camps in the 
in the midst of World War II and unspeakable things and saw family members pass away and it was just super hard for her. And later on in her life, after that had all happened, she found herself in a meeting where the gospel was being preached and she encountered one of the guards from the concentration camp that she was in. And she recognized him. He did not recognize her. He was one who was standing by, and she and her sister walked by unclothed and shamed and all the hurtful things that were done, and there was a lot that just came rushing back to her. And they'd heard this amazing truth, and he had come, this man had come, and they were interacting, and he was telling her how much he was amazed at what God had done. He had come to Christ. He had repented and believed in Christ, and so he was amazed at the forgiveness that had been bestowed on him. And as he's just casually greeting her, he reaches out his hand, and her hand doesn't go towards his. But yet she had this experience in that moment. And she says this, so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. With all my heart, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. As she took that step, God gave her that experience. But as a good friend shared with me, forgiveness is both an event and a process. And Corey Ten Boom, even in that situation, she realized forgiveness wasn't optional. Forgiveness was hard, but that didn't necessarily mean that she started to have wonderful, loving feelings towards this individual over time. In that moment, there was an experience that God had given her and extended forgiveness to him, but she still wrestled. This is what she said. She said, I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw from fresh, but, but only draw them fresh from God each day. That's the key, friends. His his mercies are new every morning. And each day we need to get the manna of the gospel and be reminded of what Christ has done. And we need to remind ourselves of the truths of what he has done as we walk this out in our lives. Both to forgive maybe someone in a larger offense, but also to just have our hearts be in the place where we can readily uh, extend forgiveness when the opportunity is going to present itself. Because the ultimate goal at the end is restoration. It's not ultimately about a debt and having to figure out how to keep my hands from going to this to going like this. It's about a restoration of relationship because that's what happens. In verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. 
the king's relationship with the servant was restored. Even though the servant's heart was hard and we learned about that last week, like in that moment, before the story goes on, the servant isn't sent out. He's not like, okay, I forgive you, now go to some other kingdom. Leave. No, he He's not banished from the country. He continues to serve as he had done before. The servant is no longer a debtor. In that moment, the servant is no longer a debtor. That is what restoration, the picture of restoration. Forgiveness moves us from a heart of revenge to a heart that desires reconciliation. So even after we have extended forgiveness, maybe your spouse has had a pattern where you have brought that to them and, uh, and, and things have changed, but you still are aware of that, of the way they used to be, and you have the temptation to bring that back up to them. What's going to help us in those moments? What's going to help us when someone in our life, we, we feel that to them? What's going to help us is directing our hearts to God and desiring their good. Because the king could have landed him in prison or sold him, but he desired his good. When we think about vengeance, vengeance is all about us. It's not about honoring God. Withdrawal is about me. It's not about honoring God, when we don't want to deal with the person who has hurt us, yet God calls us to forgive. So how can we desire good? Well, one means of grace that, that, that a wonderful, wise pastor shared with me once who's ages older than me, he said, pray for them. Pray for them. And if you don't know what to pray, maybe you could just... You could flip in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. You don't have to flip there now. It's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following. Because we can pray for them. We want to pray blessing for them. We want to pray that God would meet them. We're not just praying, God, would you change their hearts? Though we want that to happen. But we aren't to go and pray in precatory psalms where we say, God, just, just have them experience some judgment. We want our hearts to be for them. And if you're like, I don't know what to pray, this is a great prayer to pray. For this reason, so starting in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you pray that from your heart, 
regularly for someone you're struggling with, God's going to do something in your heart because you're praying God's words back to him. You're directing your gaze back to Christ as you're desiring the gaze of the other to have their heart direct back towards Christ. And boy, wouldn't it be wonderful if that prayer was answered. That would not be just a prayer to pray for someone you're struggling to forgive. You should be praying that prayer for everyone in your small group, everyone in our church. Man, if we, if we apprehend what Christ has done for us, it's going to change everything. It's going to change everything. It's going to change our hearts. We're going to go and we're going to ask forgiveness when we need to ask forgiveness. We're going to have reconciliation. We're going to be rejoicing about what Christ has done. Because loving those who need our forgiveness displays the character of Jesus. And we live in a dark day. We were praying about this in the prayer meeting this morning. We live in dark days where forgiveness is almost becoming mocked. The expectation is not to forgive. And friends, if you study history, this is not new. It's not something that's popped up in the last five or ten years since social media became rampant. No, this has been part of cultures. There are some cultures and places that don't even know forgiveness. They don't even have words for it in over the last thousands of years. But yet as we display this, we will shine as lights in the midst of darkness. And as we close, let's look to Christ. Because as Jesus hung on the cross, he said this. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. In saying this, he was acknowledging what the guards were doing was wrong that it required forgiveness, yet he still pleaded with the Father to grant his murderers forgiveness. One commentator said this. He said, instead of screaming at his executioners, you'll get yours. What does he say? Father, they really don't understand the magnitude of what they're doing. Jesus was pleading for forgiveness for those who were killing him. If he treats his executioners like that, how can you and I be cold and withdrawn? How can we be caustic and harsh with people? Jesus wouldn't talk like that even to his torturers. May God give us the grace and patience that can grow only out of a deep grasp of Christ's dying mercy for us. Let's pray. Father, Father, we need you. We need you in this moment to not let the truths about you fade away. I pray that the truths from your word would sink deep into our hearts. The words that, I, that, that came from me, Lord, would they be forgotten? The words that have come from you, Lord, would they be remembered? Would we treasure what Christ has done? And Lord, give us grace in our day-to-day -day relationships to extend forgiveness. It's not just about, Lord, the, the big things and the, the hard things, and those are real. 
Lord, in the everyday, God, would you work in us a culture of confession and forgiveness, one in which we enjoy the restoration of our relationship with you and with one another to the praise and glory of your great name. And all God's people said, amen. Why don't we stand and respond?